I believe in this phrase that silence is golden. Many people I've heard, they have spoken about that don't be silent, be vocal. You need to show that you are there. I, I believe in those as well, but I do believe in the power of being silent. And this I learned the first time when I was reading about Mr. Nelson Mandela, you know, the, the president of South Africa. And one of his article, it was mentioned that as he was young, he was participating with his father in his meetings. So his father was the head of a village and he used to meet on a regular basis. One thing he learned from his father that when he, whenever he used to have a meeting, though he was the leader of the group, he always used to speak at the last. He used to listen. He was always keeping his mouth shut, just listening, absorbing, and then giving his inputs. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host, and our guest today is Rahul Karan Sharma. Rahul is the author of Habits for Miracles, Design Your Life Your Way. Welcome, Rahul. Thank you, Brian, for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Rahul, I actually want to start with the subtitle of the book and then come back to the miracles part. Design Your Life Your Way. As I was reading the book and as I was thinking about Design Your Life Your Way, what came to mind is how often people approach their lives one of two ways. Either it's take it as it comes, or I have a plan, and it's, it's this intellectually driven path into life that doesn't necessarily sit well with the inner person. Why is what you're introducing in your book so different from either of those? I will tell you the, the background as to why I chose that as a subtitle. Uh, most of the time, we always feel that we are a victim of something. And we believe that there is someone else who will come and rescue us from these situations, whether it is a corporate or a personal situation or in the business. With this book, I wanted to share that we all have that capability, that greatness within us. It is about choice that we, we have to choose. We have an ability to lead the life the way we want versus leading the life at the terms and condition of that your employer, your partner, your clients, your customers. Choice is ours. So that is what I'm talking about through these, this book, The Habit, if we are able to inculcate those habits, we will become more closer to design our life. I really appreciate that perspective because I have long ago learned that we always have choices. We may not have a choice between 
what we like and don't like. We may have to choose from two things that are less favorable in our own minds, or we may have to choose from two things that are more favorable in our minds. And there's always choice. So with that in mind, let's come back to the word miracles. Miracles is as an acronym, and I just want to read down what each of those letters stands for and then come back and dive into some of them. So M is mind talk, I is ideation, R is reading, A is analyzation, C is calmness, L is listening, E is exercise, and S is silence. Again, Rahul, one of the things that really struck me is you're moving us both into and beyond what we consider our normal thinking state in the habits that you introduce. Early on in the book, you tell a story about returning to swimming. And that one particularly resonated with me because I just had my annual physical not very long ago. And I have some difficulty walking and my physician recommended that I start working on an elliptical. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Back 20 years ago, I used to get on the elliptical and go for 45 minutes without a problem. I got on the elliptical, I set it at level one, and in three minutes I was like, this is not what it used to be. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the swimming story and what that brought up for you. Yes, so very similar situation, and I think uh, since you have read the story, you can resonate it well. This was something, the love that I used to have, uh, but it was more like a childhood love and I wanted to get it back. In um, During COVID, our uh, gym uh, membership was suspended or it was extended. And our gym had a 25-meter pool. And since I used to love swimming, I thought maybe it's better for me to go in swimming rather than using our machines, which I do not know are clean, not clean. So now post-COVID, we had that kind of a phobia. So I thought, okay, let me start swimming where at least I know I will be safe. And I read somewhere during those days that the COVID does not get transmitted through water. So you are safe to be in water. Not know how true it is, but it's something I learned. And when I went back, I was excited. I was pumped that, man, going back to my childhood love and um, similar situation like yours uh, you had that situation in three minutes for me in one lap i was exhausted i had to take a break for 10 minutes and then take another lap so overall that day i was i couldn't took more than four laps which was just 100 meters and as i was driving back to my home i was doing this mind talk to myself that what would have went wrong and one thing that popped up in my mind that I forgot that I used to be a good swimmer or a decent swimmer 20 years ago. A lot of things physically have changed in me, which I just took it for granted that, okay, man, it's, it's going to happen. So that was a wrong judgment on my part. Number two, I, I, I researched about some of the swimming strokes that will not make you very fatigued as compared to others. So I chose the breaststroke and a backstroke. I realized that freestyle, you burn more calories, but you get tired soon. Uh, same as the breaststroke. So I started doing breaststroke and backstroke. And within three weeks, I was able to come back and uh, do 40 laps without stop. So I increased the laps from four to six to eight. 
never gave up, thought that uh, this is something that I need to do. And this never giving up mindset is what made me uh, do it successfully. So 40 laps without any break. So Raul, you mentioned mind talk as we were driving home. And mind talk is one set of the habits that you talk about in this book. And you actually introduce a couple of habits for each of these different elements, if you will, of miracle. What are the habits associated with mind talk? So let me explain what mind talk is. Mind talk also known as a self-talk, and it is about talking about us with us. That is as basic as mind talk. It's not about, you know, doing anything different. If I can um, interject there. This is where I often challenge my clients who say, I'm not a storyteller. We are all storytellers. We all do this mind talk 24 hours a day, and we're really good at it because we believe what we're telling ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do believe, Brian, that everyone has a story. There is always a background in the way we, the, what we are doing today. It always has a story. So for the mind dog, the first thing that is important for us is, and since you're talking about the habit, it is practicing gratitude. Sometimes we we take things for granted. We don't understand the value of things that we have. So when we start valuing things that we have, then we will have value more when we get something that we do not have. Today, for example, my my 10-year-old son or 9-year-old son he does not value about iPad or, or an Apple phone. He, he gets his things that, okay, my dad has two. Uh, my, my dad is a watch. So a couple of days earlier, he was asking, okay, can I get an Apple watch? And no, but no, probably later. So the value is not there. So similarly, when we don't practice gratitude, we don't value what we have. The second thing is helping others and showing the act of kindness. These two things, which is helping others, not because you need something from them, I would say selflessly, help that. If you if you give, it will be given to you. That is what I also believe in. So that would be the second aspect, you know, help others and practice kindness. What will happen when we are doing these two things, Brian, is we are making our mind more positive. And our mind, when our mind is positive, then the mind talk that we will be doing will be positive. So it is a direct proportion of what we are thinking. If we were thinking negative, then we are talking negative within us, which is helping us in taking negative action. But if you are thinking positively, we will talk to our mind positively and the positive action will be taken. I have a good friend who has actually written several books on gratitude. And Russ keeps a gratitude journal. And I honestly don't know, but I know it has been years and years, if not a decade or more, where he has journaled every day about gratitude. And just recently, I was reading an article about the fact that gratitude attitude, if you will, actually has a physiochemical effect on our body and our brains. What other and we're not going to have time to go through all of these elements of the MIRACLES acronym or all the habits, but what are some that you find are most often not a part of people's day-to-day lives? So the next one I would say is 
analyzation. We human beings are very good at analyzing others, but very rarely we analyze our own self. So when I say analyzing ourselves is knowing our own strengths, identifying what our areas of strengths or areas of improvement, and focusing on what we need to do, what we need to, uh, what action we need to take to focus on that areas of improvement. So that is one thing I would suggest. Simply, we can go to multiple online tools. There are, you Google it, you will get to know, know your personality. What kind of jobs would, would you be good at based on your personality? So what I have believed in and what I have seen, Brian, every job has a personality and every human being has a personality. When there is a great match between the human's personality as well as the job's personality, that's where we see the magic. That's where we see those 20% of the employees, the top 20% of performers. When the personalities are not matching, it's not that people cannot work, but it is an effort that they have to take to work. They will not be the top 20 percentile of people. They will remain those 80 percentile. So it's so important for us to know the personalities of our own personality so that we can match it to the jobs. If, if I can jump in here, two things again, come to mind for me. One, which I had never considered until I was talking to a colleague of mine about six months ago. And she was talking about this in the context of organizational change. And she said that we tend to be instinctively drawn to those jobs that align with what you're calling our personality, what, what I might call our professional passions. And when we engage in changing job descriptions or when we engage in promoting people, we may be disconnecting them from those things that feed them, those things that align, as you're talking about it, with their personality. And the outcome is not pretty. <laughs> the outcome is not pretty at all. The other thing that comes to mind is when I coach clients, very often I'll ask a question similar to what makes your heart sing? And what surprises me and really hurts to hear in a way is when people can't tell you what that personality, what that passion is, because they have become so disconnected from themselves. And so what you're talking about, the importance of that analyzation, that self-reflection, really is at the heart of you know, I can't be grateful if I'm miserable every day doing what I'm doing. Correct. Correct. No, I fully agree. Fully agree. I think uh, on that organizational change point, I would say most of organization, they believe that leadership is only for those people who have a title or who, who get into that position. And why I'm saying is because probably 80% of the corporate America or corporate organizations, they don't have a very solid foundational program to provide leadership training to folks who join. And what happens is when we start training them, which is when they get up into a position of a leadership, they have already learned the traits of leaders, leadership from their leaders. Good, bad, ugly, that is up for debate. And then that is what they will be using when they become a leader. So things will be all good if they are able to inculcate right habits or from a good leader. But if they are 
working under a toxic leader that will have a challenge for those people so it's so important uh, for the organizational change in development perspective what are the habits associated with analyzation so with analyzation one thing is you you mentioned the word is a self reflection we should on a regular basis if you can do it do it on a daily basis amazing but at least once in a week you need to focus on your own reflection what did you do well where you could have done better what do you we do next week to make things better that is that is number 1 number 2 i would say is focus on asking for help many times we do not ask for help so and then i always say that ask for help not to look weak ask for help to become stronger that is the thought process when we have in mind i think we would be doing a better and what i mean by ask for help is sometimes there are many things which are our blinds we don't know and we don't know what we don't know now no one can blame us for that but we don't know so that's where you need to ask help with maybe your your colleagues maybe your your partners your your leaders to give you that constructive input to give you that input that you are not able to see not because they want to uh, look you bad but just because they want to improve you they want to uh, get better so these are the two things i would say would be helpful uh, how one can inculcate this realization as a habit c is calmness not everyone i know practices calmness why is calmness so important in designing your life your way so very seldomly things go our way in a panic situation and when we are calm we are able to think rationally and we are able to take a dependable decision what i mean by dependable means something that will stick to it it will be well thought and you will be able to take action most leaders most most of us whatever decision that we have taken when we are in a panic situation without thinking most of them they, they do not go well it hurt us it backbite us so that's where i see the calmness is very important whether you are having an argument with someone in a in a starbucks store or you know you are having an argument with someone in a uh, in a railway station or probably your your airport the other day i was at a pool and i saw a gentleman he was raising his voice to the person who was in charge of the pool I was wondering that okay how can someone talk so loudly what would have gone wrong as i come closer while i was doing my swimming i was hearing that the water is not coming hard it's a cold water there are no towels i'm a student or a probably a member of that club i know the towels you get at the entry the moment you wherever you stand your cart there is a box where you can pick and water not being hard is okay it is not that poor person's job or probably it is something else it is beyond so where i'm going is that you coming out as an aggressive person on that individual who has nothing to do with the situation is not helping you neither it is helping the other person you are creating a negativity around you and in your you are you are increasing your own blood pressure 
you're increasing your own, uh, you know, healthy, it's not, it's not healthy things. So calmness, that's where I see that calmness would be beneficial if we think and then act rather than thinking in a spur of the moment or taking action in the spur of moment. Our listeners have heard me talk about our head, heart, and gut. Calmness allows us to access head, heart, and gut. When we're not calm, when we're acting out of that crisis, that distrust, that anger, whatever it is, we're actually blocking access to our reasoned thinking in our prefrontal cortex, as well as to the messages that are coming up from our heart and our gut. What are the practices, what are the habits, Raul, that you associate with calmness? I would say one would be the meditation. It helps us in a different stage altogether. It helps us to uh, soothe things and, and calm things down. So that would be one. Two, I would say is the one that I have mentioned in my book is using this 5-4-3-2-1 technique that is called as a grounding technique. It is not invented by me. Some, I think a psychologist, Dr. Julia, she introduced this 5431 concept is where whenever you are in a panic situation, the first thing for you is to just calm yourself either by thinking about those five things, so the senses, smelling three things, touching something. So that is another aspect that you calm down. Third thing I would say is visualize about what things can go right or wrong with your action that you will be taking. Sometimes we can reverse the action when we visualize. Our focus should be more on thinking before speaking. That would be one focus. Two, not everything will be solved with the exchange of words, with that heated argument that you are having in that situation. Take a step back. Sometimes taking a step back is not because you want to look weak. You are taking a step back so that you can run faster. Early on in my coach training, I learned um, what's referred to as the Dickens technique. And it's based on Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. And it is that reflection, that almost meditation on, if I continue this behavior for the next six months, what's my life going to be like? If I continue it for the next six years, what's my life going to be like? If I continue it for the next 16, 26, 36 years. And if we're looking at the negative, it doesn't feel very good by the time you get very far into the future. And so when you use the Dickens technique, you always want to do the reverse also. So bring the positivity. If I change this behavior to another behavior, What's my life going to be like in six months? Because we build on ourselves and we do it unconsciously. So that calmness that you're talking about is such an important piece of how to move through our lives with calmness, with acceptance, with satisfaction, and with intention. The last, and I know we've skipped several, but the last one I want to dive into because Again, it's not something that people are necessarily practicing. And I know a lot of people who it's not something that they're even comfortable with, which is silence. Why is silence so important? I believe in this phrase that silence is golden. Many people I've heard 
they have spoken about that don't be silent be vocal you need to show that you are there i i believe in those as well but i do believe in the power of being silent and this i learned uh, the first time when i was reading about mr nelson mandela you know the, the president of south africa and one of his uh, article it was mentioned that as he was young he was uh, participating with his father in his meetings so his father was the head of a village and he used to meet on a regular basis one thing he learned from his father that when he whenever he used to have a meeting though he was the leader of the group he always used to speak at the last he used to listen he was always keeping his mouth shut just listening absorbing and then giving his inputs and that really allowed him to think creatively and then think in a way that others can receive because now he has heard everyone's inputs so when we are in a meeting there is this notion that more you talk in a meeting more you are seen maybe when you are in uh, probably a hollywood that might be the case because there is a lot of people who are in trying to interview paparazzi i do not know how how much relevant that would be just in corporate america Yes there are certain leaders who gauge people through their how vocal they are but i gauge people not by their how vocal they are but what they are listening and then how they are putting up their perspective so in our home we have put this thing which is 10 minute silence so i'm not able to do it on a regular basis but with kids i'm doing it once in a week Personally I have started doing with 2 to 3 minutes silence and that 2 to 3 minutes silence is just away from my gadgets and no one can disturb me and that is just my me time allowing me to think to to reflect on the day the self reflection we spoke about earlier and silence is also about regaining your energy so it's more like i see being silence is just like your phone charger or your anything that charges so silence is what charges you your inner uh, body gives you strength to be more active versus we losing our energy every time when we are talking when we are in act that is what i would say about silence i actually coach leaders to not run the meetings that they call so that they can be there to listen to absorb what people are and what people aren't saying rather than focusing on the agenda and who's spoken who's not spoken and what the conflicts are what the agreements are and so forth really being silent being present fully very much as you were talking about Nelson Mandela's father Rahul there's a world of richness in habits for miracles design your life your way I want to thank you for sharing them with your reading audience and with our listening audience. Thank you. Thank you Brian. Thank you. Thank you.